Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. We're very honored to have best-selling author Andy Andrews with us on this episode. You may know Andy from his many books like The Noticer and The Traveler's Gift, Seven Decisions That Determine Personal Success. But you may not know that Andy was homeless for two years following the deaths of both of his parents when he was just 19. Andy is inspirational and motivational. He is very much in demand as a speaker and as a consultant to many of the world's top corporations. He's known for his ability to detect the little things that are the difference between winning and losing. His latest book is called The Bottom of the Pool, Thinking Beyond Your Boundaries to Achieve Extraordinary Results. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you guys, I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have you with us. And we mentioned that you became homeless at the age of 19. How, <laughs> how did that lead you to becoming the successful, influential person you are today? Because that's not a typical path to success. Yeah, you don't, you don't see that as a straight shot. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. It, it's, it's weird because even when I talk about it myself, when I say, you know, I was homeless, I think, you know, that wasn't even a word at that time. This was not a term anybody was using. Nobody talked about homeless people. And so to myself, I just lived on the beach. You know, I was sleeping under a pier and in and out of people's garages, which is not safe or smart. But I did. And that's where that kind of started. And that's that, that homeless thing. Because I didn't even really kind of connect those dots until probably about 15 years ago. And the noticer was based off of that. And before I even ask my question, I just have to tell you that I think more than any single book that I've ever read in my life, the noticer was the most influential. And I've read that book over and over again and given copies to my parents and my friends. I think the book is fabulous. And I think it's even more inspiring knowing that it was based off of your life. How closely related was it? Oh my gosh, yes. You've been my dream guest to have on the show since before we started it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What in the world? Because I've looked at you guys, looked at your website and your podcast is getting noticed by everybody. And your podcast is awesome. And, you know, all you had to do was call me. <laughs> well, so. well, we did. We, we, we did. Well, it, ga- it really gave me, I think, the motivation to come out of a very dark time in my life and realize wow. that I had more to give. So you, you really have helped a lot of people through that you book. Know, the, the, that book, The Noticer, is a story about, and, and it's a true story. You know, you read the first, I say it's a true story, the first chapter is absolutely true, just like that happened. And, you know, I was 19, and when my parents died, and, you know, I had a great ability to take a bad situation and make it worse, and I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I took that time, and I, you know, I really kind of, in a couple of years, propelled myself into a, an awful place. And this is 30 years ago, and there wasn't a lot of pathology involved, but I just didn't have any money, and I was alone. And I met this old guy, and, you know, we didn't know who he was. We didn't know where he came from. We didn't know where he stayed when he was in town. We knew he was in and out of town. We didn't know where he went when he left. We didn't know what was in the suitcase that he carried around. We never touched it. And this was the first guy, Laura, who told me the truth about myself. And I see your eyebrows lift, Jan. And so when I say that, 
what I mean is, you know, when you meet somebody who's having a tough time, what do we do? We, we give them $5 or we put them on the prayer list at church, but we don't ever sit down with them and think through situations and tell them things about themselves that might make them angry at us. Mm-hmm. But this is what this old dude did. And so the notice is a story about that. You know, he, he says, when God gave talents, I wasn't, uh, you know, in the front of the line. I, did, I don't sing well. I can't run fast. All I do is notice things that other people miss. And it's a life of perspective. The title of your new book is The Bottom of the Pool, Thinking Beyond Your Boundaries to Achieve Extraordinary Results. And you say... The surface of the pool is an apt metaphor for the way most of us have been conditioned to live our lives. Explain more about that. And I appreciate you using the subtitle because when you say the bottom of the pool, it does sound kind of like a horror movie, doesn't it? Yeah. But, but uh, it is a book about thinking. And this was a book that was a long time coming for me because I worked with a bunch of clients and I stumbled on a philosophy of thinking, it just kind of a way of rolling some thoughts around that became very valuable to these. And if you look on the book, you see one thing that I asked the publisher to do, I said, just get endorsements from people who have actually used the material and get a baseline, get a measurable, get a percentage of I was here and this is how much money we made. This is how many more people we added to our organization. This is how our family changed because I'm a nobody. You know, when you say nobody told me, uh-huh. hey, I'm, I'm perfect for your show because I'm a nobody. I don't have a... You know, I don't have a Super Bowl ring. I don't have gold medals. I never landed a plane on the Hudson. I'm just a husband and a daddy, and I kind of notice things too. And so what I do with these things is try to think through them to a different conclusion. So most people, when we're talking about the surface of the pool, most people live with what is true, and they ignore and never find all the results that are available with the truth. Now, here's what I mean. Things can be true and not be the truth. Mm-hmm. Because if something, it can be true. Like if, if we took a blind person and asked them to describe, you know, you, you know you haven't ever seen this animal, spend a few minutes with it. It's an elephant. Tell us what it's like and how it can be used. And the blind person might say, well, it's big, it's tall, it's wide. It can be used as a gate, a wall. You could get many of them to make a wall. Well, all that's true. It's just not the truth. Because until we know the truth about the elephant, We would not have a complete picture of what it really looks like or how many ways we could use it. And so in our society, with our families, in our relationships, in our careers, over and over again, people stop at what is true. And they look around and everybody has stopped at what is true because it's an answer. And the answer is correct. Mm -hmm. And the answer provides results. But I'm telling you, there are multiple phenomenal, unbelievable, abounding results available at the bottom of the pool that people are just totally ignoring. And you talk about some examples of people who have really proven this to be true. And two of my favorites were Bob Beeman and Walt (laughs) Disney. Could you explain a little bit about those to people who haven't read the book yet? I thought they were just amazing stories that you told. 
Yeah, the whole metaphor at the bottom of the pool started when I was a little kid, and we would all circle up in the deep end, and we would act like Flipper, which was a television show then, and we'd try to see how high out of the water we could get. And whoever got the highest was the Dolphin King. And so, you know, you'd work your arms and your legs. And But there was this one kid who was older than us and bigger than us, and he always won. And we looked at what he did, and we tried to copy what he did, and we tried to learn what he did. But he won every time. Now, you could look at that little bunch of people, and you could say, that's the only place in the world that Dolphin is being played. And so those are the best dolphin players on the planet, and that kid is the best of all time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you went to us back then and you said, hey, guys, are you doing the best you can do? Really? Then think, think with me here. Are you doing the best you can do? We would have said, yes, we are. We are. Because we were doing the best we could do. But one day... My best friend went to the middle of the circle, and everybody just kind of goes up. But this time, this kid went down. And we're, like, watching, what is he doing? And he sinks all the way to the bottom, and he crouches down on the bottom. Then he pushes against the concrete and comes rocketing out of the surface. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we have a new Dolphin King. But the thing is... Of course, until you get to the bottom, you could never harness the powers available. Mm -hmm. So you could have asked us, are you doing the best you can do? And we say, yes, we're doing the best we can do. Mm -hmm. But we were not doing the best that could be done. And we did not even know there was a line that existed because we looked at how it was done. We watched him. We tried to copy the best player. And it was obvious how you did this. At least everything was obvious until one kid went down instead of up. And everything that had been so obvious was not even true. And that's where Bob Beeman comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. Here's this guy in 1968 in the Olympics. And he's America's just a guy from Brooklyn. You know, he's kind of the fourth guy in the finals. 1968, Mexico City, the Olympics, and the world is watching. And on the long jump, this kid, yeah, though he made it to the finals, this kid has already fouled two times. He gets one more shot. And the other three people standing there competing are the Soviet guy who won the gold medal before, the British guy who's like the world record holder, and the other American who, you know, was the best guy on the team. And so if you looked at the history of the long jump in that moment, and that's that jump where they go running, 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 and they like are bicycling in the air yeah. and land. That's what the long jump is. If you look at that in the past hundred years before, only thirteen times had the world record been advanced, and it was advanced by an average of an inch and a half. 13 times over 100 years, and the record set right there at 27 feet. So Beeman, this kid from Brooklyn, had already fouled two times. He had already gone over the line, and he's going to make his last attempt. And the other American walked up to him, and and he cupped his hand, and with the stadium watching and the world watching, he told 
this kid, he said, you know, give them those two inches on the back. Don't foul. Just make sure you make a good jump. Give them two inches on the back, but know that your mind has wings and take two feet on the jump. You give them two inches on the back, but when you jump, take two feet. Well, I mean, it was just kind of a thing the guy said. And then as the world watched, this kid took strides down the track, leapt in the air, landed in the sand, and then just kind of walked off. And, you know, you see the film today, the judges are kind of wandering around and the stadium is quiet. And nobody knows what has happened. But what has happened is the kid has jumped beyond all this brand new technological data, you know, the point, the laser thing that they were measuring with. And so the judges are trying to find an old-fashioned ruler thing, an old-fashioned measuring tape. And it took about 15 minutes. And they measured, and when they posted the thing, the stadium almost collapsed in a roar and Beeman looked up and he saw what they had posted, what he had done, and he collapsed to the track. In a hundred years, thirteen times, the world record had been broken by an inch and a half. And this one kid ran down the track and broke the world record by two feet. Wow. He jumped twenty nine feet. And while the world marks are still, you know, up in the air, the Olympic record for that, 1968, it has still not been broken. But you know the curious part, right? What's that? Well, the curious part is he never did it again. Why do you think he never did it again? I think he never did it again because I think there was a moment in time that he listened to that guy about a mind having wings and believed it. And he did something extraordinary. It was lightning in a bottle. However, even though this guy had done it and he captured lightning in a bottle and he had jumped two feet beyond the world record, now all of the press in the world, I mean, ESPN calls this moment the greatest sports moment of the century. Sports Illustrated called it the greatest Olympic moment in history. And so now this guy's a kid, and he's still competing. He's still going to world championships, and he's still going again. He even jumped in the same stadium against the same guys. However, there was this one moment in time that his mind received something from somebody that said, give two inches in the back, take two feet on the other end. And he actually did it. Well, the newspapers of the day began to broadcast and the radio. They said, can he do it again? Can he do it again? Can Beeman do it again? And in his entire career, that kept, because everybody's results went back to that inch crawl. That has continued to this day. But for years and years until the end of Beeman's life, there's, can he do it again? Well, it was a horrible question that he bought into. And ladies, you know, Jones, that old man, the noticer told me one time, he said, the quality of your answers can only be determined by the quality of your questions. You know, good answers, ask good questions. Mm -hmm. And can Beeman do it again? 
was a horrible question. Can he do it again? Everybody was talking about it. Even Bob Beeman was reading it. He was hearing it. Can he do it again? Can he do it again? See, it's a horrible question because quietly the answer is, of course. Of course he can do it again. But yeah, he's proven it already. He did. You're telling me the body that jumped 29 feet can't jump 29 again? Now, it began to nag him. Had the question been, will he do it again? He could have put some thought into that and determined whether or not he would do it again. But can he do it again? Everybody, the broadcasters, the newspapers, everybody looking at it, having already been done, bombarded this kid with the news that it was impossible. It was impossible. It was lightning in a bottle. He had found a unicorn, you know, in a fairyland. This is once in a million, jillion, trillion. So what could he have done differently then? He really didn't have control over the questions that the press were asking. So what could he have had in his control that would have changed whether or not he did it again? It's an amazing thing that you ask that because I've looked a lot at my time living on the beach with no money, no people, no help. If we flash freeze that time and we look back and we say, wow, there's Andy Andrews. You know, you can't be New York Times bestselling author, but there, look at him. He was homeless. Okay, I want to tell you something about that kid at that time. He didn't know he was homeless. Mm. There was no internet. Uh-huh. That wasn't even a word. Nobody knew he had quit college. You know, all the families and everything. Nobody had cell phones. Nobody talked about anything. Nobody knew where everybody was. And this kid, he wasn't homeless. He was by himself. He was living on the beach, and he was washing boats and fishing for people and selling fish and selling bait, taking people fishing. He wasn't homeless. He was fine. Mm-hmm. Now, had we told him he was homeless, things might have turned out very differently. Interesting. Wow. Wow. Tell us about the Walt Disney story that you have in there. That's a great one. Yeah, it's interesting to me that we all, in our society, Jan, we think about results, and that's what we put out. And, and you know, we, we tell kids, look, you can be like this, too, and you can do whatever you, you want to do. And we point to those people and the successes they've had. But we never go to the bottom of the pool. Now, why is it that you think Walt Disney was so cool? Well, Walt Disney was so cool because he flew around in a jet whenever he wanted to. He had magic kingdoms everywhere. I mean, my gosh, you could go to Disneyland, Disney World, free. I mean, you can go anywhere you want to go. No lines for the rides. No lines for the rides. you got houses all over the world. Who doesn't want that life? We all want to be like Walt Disney, but what children are never taught is, you know, you look at Walt Disney, he was very different. The reason you think Walt Disney is so cool is because his life is different. It's different. His life didn't turn out like all the jillion other drones that you see on and off subways, just 
thinking that this is their life. You know, he you look at him and you go, golly, I would love to be like that because he's so different. But see, somewhere along the line, to turn out differently, Walt Disney had to, as a young man, really face the reality that if you're going to turn out different, you got to be a little different. And so back in the day, it's a shocking thing to us now, but he got a job as a cartoonist at the Kansas City Star. And the Kansas City Star was the major Midwest newspaper that linked New York and L.A. and Miami. And I mean, there it is, the Kansas City Star. That was the newspaper. And so he was hired as a cartoonist. Walt Disney, Mm -hmm. but he was fired. And the reason he was fired is his boss said he had no good ideas (laughs) and just not a good imagination. Oh, of course not. It's clear. (laughs) Who was wrong in that equation? But the curious thing is, I wonder if it was the boss. If we look at the boss and go, dude, are you the guy that didn't have the imagination? I mean, this guy was thinking so far beyond everybody else that you thought he was crazy. You know, he was going to do, when you wish upon the Kansas City star. (laughs) But they said, that's nuts. A singing cricket? Are you kidding me? A talking mouse? You know, we could have had Cinderella night at Arrowhead Stadium. No, they fired him. Because they didn't have enough imagination to see how much imagination Walt Disney had. Why do we often put more credence in the opinions of what other people may have of us than we do in our own opinions of ourselves? And and how do you think we can move past that? Well, the surface of the pool is like a jigsaw puzzle and it's all kind of locked together and it works very well. Everybody's got their own float and every kind of, you know, you got your drink and you can kind of kick around and the kids can go from one place to another and you stay cool and go and, and you know, that's just kind of how you do it in the pool. And everybody does it that way in the pool. Now, you get somebody that's, you know, just way out of bounds, you know, that turns into like Mark Spitz, Jan, you and I would think Mark Spitz. Laura, who would you think in a label climber? Michael Phelps. Yeah, Phelps. Well, see, you know, at the pool, while everybody else was in the round things, you know, people were probably pretty aggravated by that Phelps kid who kept trying to swim back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. This is not how you acted at the pool. Mm-hmm. Come on now, get the Phelps kid out of here. This is not how you act. You know, I mean, Jacques Cousteau, uh, you know, I'm sure Laura doesn't know who that is. Jeff. I do know who that she is. Does. I oh, do. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> hey, you know, Jacques Cousteau, he, this was a guy that was going down in the mid depths, and everybody was playing Marco Polo in the pool. And everybody go, Where is Jacques Cousteau? Oh, that idiot is down swimming down deep. He's down there. Okay, well, these guys are doing something totally, totally different. Now, surface of the pool, it all worked. And that's the way you go to a pool. That's what you do. That's how you exist in a pool. 
But if you want to get results, they're just right there. It's right there, same pool, same water. Michael Phelps and Jacques Cousteau made something out of the different depths, same pool. But everybody else had their industry standards. They had their best practices. This is how this is done. If you want to find out how something is done, just float it out there on the Internet. People will come out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. to tell you how it is done. Mm -hmm. And if you argue with them, they will stand you down because it has already been determined how it has been done. Let me tell you a quick story. One time, you know, I work with a lot of corporations, and these people read my books, read the Traveler's Gift, and notice they're in the bottom of the pool. And, and I work with these guys, and because I'm a nobody, I've got to have great results. Mm-hmm. i got to have these people doubling and tripling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look, uh, you know, on the bottom of the pool, that endorsement from Steve Jacobson, just look at that one. You know, I'm in my sitting room one evening with my wife, and I'm on the phone with one of these CEOs that their results have doubled in a year. And my wife says to me when I hang up, she says, how are you doing this? And I said, what? She said, you're working with these coaches, and, you know, Nick has won all these national championships, and now these other guys, and you're going to these companies, and you don't know anything about the mortgage business. You don't know anything about football. You played football in the sixth grade. How are you doing this? And I laughed. We've been married 30 years, and I said, dear, it's a thinking philosophy. And it's like this. If somebody had met me in an airport, and they said, Andy, we only have 30 seconds with you. We'll never see you again. But in 30 seconds, can you give us something? Can you just say something? You've written all these books. Say something in 30 seconds that will give us the opportunity to increase our results 15 to 20% year after year after year for a decade. If they asked me to do that, dear, I could not do it because that's how the best in all these industries, that's how they increase. That's how organizations increase 15% a year, and that's how they all do, okay? And I don't know anything about them. And so I would have to know something about them, and I don't, and so I couldn't help. But if somebody said to me, now I'm just talking about the philosophy here. If somebody said, Andy, we only have you for 30 seconds, and in 30 seconds we need you to say something that will give us the opportunity to double our results in a year. Well, I could do that because all I would say, I I would say, well, okay. Look at your industry, see what everybody's doing, watch how everybody's doing it, and then turn around and go the other way. Hmm. Because you wanted a chance, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You wanted a chance to double. Okay, well, look at your industry. Do you see anybody doubling? Has anybody ever doubled? Is anybody doubling now? Well, if you want a chance to double, we already know where not to look. It's a thought process that can take you because everybody on the surface of the pool is living with what is true. It works. Mm. It gets results. And it gets that 15 to 20% return a year if you're in first, second, or third place. But if you want to come out of nowhere, if you want to redesign your life, if you want to imagine something that can not only come true, but it comes true because you control it and build it and make it happen right in front of your own self, if you want to do something extraordinary, 
Well, don't do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We already know the results yeah. of that. Yeah. And Andy, as our final question, we always ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? What do you wish someone had told you about life and success and overcoming hard times that you wish that they had that would have helped you avoid some tough times? Okay. I'm going to think to the bottom of the pool with this question. Are you sure you want the answer to this? Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. need that. Okay. All right. Everybody take a deep breath because I wish somebody had told me that nobody had a job for me. You know, for years, I looked for a job and I did a job and I worked at a job and I would do my other stuff, but I did my job and I was good at my job and nobody ever told me that what I was doing didn't really even exist. Well, here's what I'm saying. Think to the bottom of the phone with me. The owner of the company is a computer. I'll say the owner of the company. You don't know the owner of the company. The owner of the company is this big blob. Mm-hmm. It's taking results, and this computer has been given a million dollars, and the computer's orders have been to turn a million dollars into 1.2. Okay? Okay. So the computer now gets several people and, you know, you can get a bread making company, a basket making company, a service company, you get an insurance company, get whatever company he wants to do. But he's got a million dollars to build this company and he's going to offer jobs. And let's say three jobs because it's like three vice presidents. And so these three jobs, these three people are going to offer jobs, 20 each. And, you know, a million dollars is going to spread pretty well. And so all these people are going to have their jobs. And it's a pretty cool thing. And it works really well until the tally is made at the end of the year and the computer that has put out $1 million and is expecting 1.2 brings back 9.7. Well, something's wrong. Because the computer doesn't really have any jobs, the computer has a result. It has a result. And because it has a result, it can take that million dollars and the computer can think, I could put it in a savings account and get interest and it would be better than floating it out there and letting these people deal with it. And so all of us, here I am out there, and, and I'm working along, and, you know, it's 5 o'clock, and I look at my watch, and I, I did my job. But if I did my job, whatever that job was, because nobody said, hey, we've got a thing, and we're just going to put somebody in that place, and you do whatever you want to do. You can go play on a swing set. You can file your nails. You can practice archery. You can go play golf. We don't really care. You're just the person in that job and we got to fill it and we'll give you $5,000 a month to do it. And it's great. And so that person does that. And if I like they've done their job and they clock out, but everybody thought they had jobs, but way up the line, the owner demanded a result. Mm-hmm. And I tell you that story so that you understand you are your owner. Everybody's out there competing with product and price. Mm -hmm. One thing trumps product and price, and that's you. 
have you ever paid more for a product than you had to? You knew you could have got it less, but you decided to pay more. Yeah, you've done it. Have you ever gone to more trouble? Yeah, you've done it. Uh-huh. Why? Well, it always folds around to somebody and a gratefulness that you're showing or a loyalty that you're showing. It is you. Yeah, I know Walmart's right across the street, but I will always drive across town and go to that lady's store. Have I ever told you what she did for my grandmother 14 years ago? Let me tell you this story. What she did for my grandmother, I will always drive across town. And you are the magic. It's not the product. It's not the job. Yeah, a job doesn't live and breathe. A job doesn't make kids' eyes light up. A job doesn't bring a sense of well-being. You know, there is no scrub brush in the world that you can go to bed with at night and feel very certain that all is well with the world because this scrub brush is so effective. It's you and me. Mm-hmm. It's Laura and Jan. Mm-hmm. It's your voices. And when I listen to your podcast, when I listen to Nobody Told Me, I don't hear your voices. I hear your hearts coming mm-hmm. across the country from you to me into the homes of other people. And you have added value to my life. And because of that value, you know, you, you may have chosen this as a career and you may talk about it to your family that I got to go to the job, but it, it's not really that, not to me anyway. I look mm-hmm. at that. I look at this thing as, wow, man, all the mothers and daughters that are fighting, all the mothers and daughters that can't get along, all the mothers who wish they had time with their daughters, all the daughters who wish they had a moment with their mother. And look here, we get to sit down and have coffee with Jan and Laura, a mom and a daughter who have had arguments and they've disagreed and they have figured out how to come back together. And though they may still disagree about certain things, their love for each other and their determination to go for the best Everybody else is going good to great. Fine. Let them. Jan and Laura are going for the best. Wow. Because of that. (laughs) I I was going to say, I'm I'm loving what you're saying right now. Me too. Me too. (laughs) And so, but this is why this works. Uh And this is why I look to the bottom of the pool to figure out, okay, this is why you work. This is why I get you. This is why I love you guys. This is why America loves nobody told me. And you know what? I'll tell you what. This is one last thing. You guys, I did some stuff with Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama mm-hmm. football. And, you know, here's a guy who has won more national championships than all the college football coaches combined put together. You know, he's in the discussion for best of all time. And yet, where does he go for a seminar? How does he look to become more? How does he? And so what I told Nick one day, I said, buddy, to look at yourself and understand how people feel when they see you and they meet you and understand the value of you and your wife and your family, you are 
competing at a level nobody else knows a game is going on. And that's what Jan Black and Laura Owens are doing. Wow. We thank you for that. You added a lot of value to our I was going to say, we're like on a different level now <laughs> yeah, in terms really? of our own confidence. Yeah, yeah. no, no. And well, we, you, we, we don't view this as a job. I don't, no, I don't think. I mean, we enjoy working together and doing this together. For as much benefit as we hope to provide to other people, I think this has been wonderful for us to have as a mother-daughter combo, and it's strengthened good. our own relationship. No, yeah, no, it has. It has. And, and we learn from people like you who are the best and, you know, we get to share that. So, I mean, it's fabulous. Andy, how can people connect with you on social media and the Internet? I'm at Andy Andrews. I'm AndyAndrews.com. You know, you can go on Facebook and I'm Andy Andrews. And, you know, I will be your friend. Just <laughs> <laughs> find me there. And I'm also doing a lot of work, a lot of very special work with WisdomHarbor.com. WisdomHarbor.com. I, I, I probably need to turn you two on to that because I think the community, I think the people at Wisdom Harbor would love you two. Hey. Well, it sounds please, like we'd love them. Please, we'd love to talk to them. Well, Andy, again, we thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate talking with you. We appreciate your books and just think that you've put some wonderful, wonderful things out there in the world that generations to come will benefit from. And I really don't think this show would have ever happened were it not for the wisdom that you gave me when I first read your book. I don't know. It must have been 10 years ago now. Wow. Well, hey, thank you guys. And and, and look, keep in touch. I'm listening to you. And anytime you... I don't know if anybody cares what I think, but if you want to know what I think, give me a call. We'll talk oh, again. We definitely will because we have about four more pages of questions. Each of us have our own four more pages of questions <laughs> uh-huh. to ask you that we didn't even have a chance to touch on. So Awesome. Andy, thank you so much. Our thanks to Andy Andrews. Again, his latest book is called The Bottom of the Pool, Thinking Beyond Your Boundaries to Achieve Extraordinary Results. His website is andyandrews.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.